Welcome to Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast. This is a podcast about a story, about a town, and the story continues. So, this, uh, the season premiere aired tonight, if you're listening to this on October 11th. Um, it's called A Kiss Before Dying. Who gets kissed before they die? That's the question. Well, there's a lot of kissing in this episode. Uh, and there is... Actually, I hadn't really thought about it. There is actually a kiss before dying in this episode because I got so hung up on it being, like, one of the people that you think about and worry about or, like, being Fred or whatever. But, no, that that last-minute death at the end of the episode, and obviously this is a spoiler podcast. We are doing, like, uh, we don't usually recap, recap, but we do talk about every element of the show, so you're, you're going to get spoiled if you're listening. But that last-minute death, uh, yeah, Grundy did have somebody kissing her before she uh, met the Black Hood. And certainly she has a type. This is true, although at least he, it, this time he's not redheaded. Well, you know, Jason wasn't a natural redhead either, so. That's true. Of course, neither is Archie, for that matter, now that I think of it. But uh, can we talk about Archie and how good KJ was in this episode? Yeah. I mean, we, like, <laughs> we've we never really bagged on any of the actors in this show, but I do think that we've praised most of the principals more than we've praised KJ. And it's no fault of his. I mean, he's young, he's newer to this, and right. he has to do an American accent, which... You know, some people in Supergirl aren't able to do. So. <laughs> oh I man, I, I yeah, she's my she's uh, uh, not to say that she's my favorite actor on the show, like on Supergirl, but she's probably my favorite actor who currently appears on Supergirl. And I'm to Katie yeah, yeah, Katie McGrath. <laughs> yeah, that that was a holy cow! The Supergirl premiere that aired two days ago was a train wreck of an accent for her. I don't know what happened, because I've never noticed her slipping out of it in season one, season two. But I was so used to her from Merlin. But I guess the thing is, you know, like, when you're an actor and you have to do these, you know, intense scenes and Mm -hmm. cover up an accent, I mean, it's incredible that KJ can do it. Yeah. I mean... And, And this, I mean... The the acting he did in the first ten minutes of this episode is like straight up Emmy quality acting. Like this is he's incredibly incredibly good. Uh, I, think part, I think part of it also has to do with I mean we've all seen KJ and Luke Perry at conventions together, mm-hmm. and I feel like KJ kind of has that like rapport with Luke Perry as an actor that he was kind of acting like what if something happened to. Luke Perry. Yeah. And I think he could channel that really well. I mean, I don't know if that was his method, but it certainly seemed that way because, I mean, he looked as scared as we were in the audience. Yeah. Something's going to happen to Fred. Yeah, and it was, I mean, like I said, I was really, um, I was taken aback by how good he was in this episode, and that is not in any way a slight on him. It's, It's not that he's not ordinarily pretty good. But he's just, he's not the best 
actor in the cast most weeks, and this week he absolutely was. And I loved that, you know, there were certain references thrown his way, like Pure Heart, Pure Heart the Powerful. Yep. This is a reference to 1960s Archie Comics. Yeah, which actually, uh, in addition to being 1960s Archie Comics, during the Zdarsky run on Jughead, there were, like, fantasy backup sequences that were, like, Jughead falling asleep in class, and one of them was those Archie superheroes. Uh, and I, there's, there's actually, I should distinguish, there's two different kinds of Archie superheroes. There are Archie superheroes, which are basically superheroes made out of the Archie characters who only exist really in fantasy sequences and such. And then there's Red Circle Superheroes, which is a publishing company owned by Archie. Uh, and those characters include the Black Hood, who appears to be the inspiration behind the uh, the gunman here. Well, um, also, the term the Red Circle may come in handy if you're a Riverdale fan. So keep your ears open. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, the uh, – it's a weird thing. Uh, we, we've talked in the past, and we, we I talked with some folks on Reddit about how we don't really want to spoil ahead, like, things that we've seen in the ordinary, like, folks haven't. But I did do an interview with Roberto back before the finale last year where he told me unambiguously that in episode 203 – that the uh, the gunman would be named by Alice Cooper in the local paper, and he intimated very strongly that that name would be the Black Hood. So I'm going to call this guy the Black Hood until proven otherwise, and because I'm call him Sheriff <laughs> it's less it's it's less fun with 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 uh, it's less fun with Chris not being here. I know. I have a, well, see, and it's also fun when Michelle is here because she can egg me on. That's true. That's true. You know, like we we do a little team up thing. So, by the way, for those of you listening, uh, Chris is seeing Thor tonight. I'm very jealous. Yes, and that's why he's not here. Yes. Also, for those of you listening, uh, my name is Russ Berlingame, and this is Craig Byrne. We didn't introduce ourselves because we were so excited to get into season two of Riverdale. And. You know, the story continuing. I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, we just, you know, we really had to get into the whole KJ of office. He was so great. Yeah. And also, um, excuse me, the Lodge family dynamics. I mean, now that Hiram's in, but also it's like, it's like a cat fight between Veronica and Hermione in a way. Like, who's going to blink first? I think it's really interesting uh, the way that that's being played because I think that. I almost get the sense that they're playing Hiram as a little bit more... Like, in the comics, he's he's very controlling. And here, I feel like he's a little bit more aloof. Like, he just... He knows and accepts that he's in control. And so, he would rather everybody just behave themselves and that he doesn't have to deal with this crap. That's kind of the vibe that I get. Uh... We'll see, again, how that plays out, especially because we know that the chances are very small that people are going to behave themselves. Yeah, it is Riverdale after all. And right. speaking of behaving themselves, what was this with Veronica just walking into the shower while Archie's grieving? Do you think that would really work to make him forget his dad? Uh, you know, it's such a weird, it's such a weird <laughs> thing. I mean, I've had this conversation a few times, actually, about uh, High Fidelity. Uh, have you ever seen that film? I have not. I am not a movie guy. I suck. I'm 
Sorry. No, that's fine. I, I love High Fidelity. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, spoilers for an 18-year-old movie. But uh, You ruined Twin Peaks. No, that was that was Chris. Okay. Chris uh, ruined Twin Peaks. And, and when I had lunch with, or when I had dinner with Michelle on Saturday, I think, uh, she brought that up, actually. Wait, you had dinner with Michelle? That's cooler than going to see Thor. I know. I, I, got to, I got to hang out with her at New York Comic Con. I also got to hang That's out. That's so awesome. Yeah, I miss Josh, unfortunately. Uh, I did get to hang out with Dave Bratton, who uh, doesn't interact with the show as much, but I know he listens at least sometimes, and he interacts pretty frequently on the, like, the Russ Berling Game Facebook page, like my work one. The name sounds yeah, uh, he's a big fan of 90s Superman, so probably the three of us have gotten into some oh. extremely nerdy conversation on my Facebook page. But, uh, yeah, uh, Zach, Zach Roberts, who's uh, one of my best friends and my co-host on the Emerald City Video Podcast, and I were coming back from New York Comic Con. It was the one day that Michelle was there, and I had, like, missed connections with her two or three times, and then finally she was like, so I'm heading out soon, and we were just like, well, you want to come to the TikTok Diner, which is the diner that's, like, in the bottom of our hotel that we go to every year. And so... I thought that was a pop-up. You know, it, it could have been. Uh, I, I actually, I did do, uh, while I was at New York Comic Con, I did the, uh, there was an art gallery thing where a handful of reporters were brought in, and Jeff Johns walked us around the original art. Or, no, not the original art. It was, like, life-size reprints, but it was... He walked us through the line art for the first issue of Doomsday Clock, which is the upcoming Watchmen sequel. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and, like, the bits that got released on the Internet, the first six pages, uh, are, like, the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of really cool stuff that I can't talk about because somebody from D.C. will murder me in my sleep. But So you got to meet Michelle, who I, I'm sure people have seen on Twitter, Mimi C219, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome, and she has her own TV podcast going on. Yes, hashtag TV Geek, and uh, you uh, you can find them on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, and that's probably easier than trying to search it in iTunes or in your whatever your podcasting thing of choice is, because I can never remember whether they are actually whether you have to search the word hashtag or an actual hashtag. Huh. Uh, Yes, so um, you were talking to Michelle about... Uh, no, we were talking to Michelle about uh, how Chris had ruined uh, Twin oh, Peaks. But, um, but yeah, tangent. But going back to the, the, the high fidelity of it all, the reason it makes sense is because in high fidelity, the whole story centers on uh, this guy whose girlfriend breaks up with him. And they have this kind of long-term codependent relationship. And it becomes a question of, like, are they right for each other, but they're just kind of really difficult to live with, or are they wrong for each other and they're trying to make something work that doesn't work? And when are you saying that Archie and Veronica are wrong for each other and trying to make it work? No, but what, here's here's the thing. Yeah, the that's like the crux of the movie, but one of the biggest scenes in it is towards the end, when they eventually get back together, it's not because they have, like, a big emotional breakthrough. It's because her father dies, and she's miserable, and she knows that 
Rob, her ex-boyfriend, really cared about her father and that her father cared about Rob. And so she invites him and then she has him drive her home and they end up having sex. And her explanation for it, because I always i have had the same conversation. I'm like, really? Is that like when that happens? Uh, but the explanation that's given in story for it is that uh, she just wanted to feel something besides sad, basically. Ah, so maybe Veronica wanted Archie to feel something besides that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think that the implication here is that that's really all that she had in her, uh, she, all she really had in her arsenal. Like, it's, they, they made it, they went to great pains to make sure that people knew that she didn't really have a clue how to navigate, like, the really hard stuff that, that came this episode. Um, I'm glad that they didn't, I'm glad they didn't draw that out. I'm glad that they've, they've kind of created a way forward for her so that this is not like a long-term story of the two of them squabbling over this crap. Yeah. Well, also on the note of sex, I thought one of the funniest lines or, you know, sequences was when, um, Alice asks, uh, Betty if she and Jughead hooked up. Mm Mm-hmm. That was really fun. She, you know, calling him a serpent and, you know, just getting on his case. And of course, we know her own past. Yeah. But, uh, or it's been hinted I, at. We don't really know, no. Well, we can imagine. I mean, I don't know. Chick kind of looks like a feet of me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that's right. He's been cast in the time since we talked last, too. That's yeah. Yeah, of course, we both had our own... Ideas on who should play Chick. Uh, who was yours again? I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I remember... It was a good suggestion, though. Yeah. I, I know mine was Trevor. Trevor Stein. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jason, because that would be the perfect, like, Twin Peaks homage, too. To, because they're cousins anyway. It'd be like Cousin Maddie. That's true. Twin Peaks. But... No, I, I think they wanted somebody a little harder-edged. I can't... What is the name of the actor? Do you have it handy? I don't, but I can look it up. Uh... Is it heart something? That sounds right. Give me just a second. I'm I'm buried in notifications because today the Flash, and oops, uh, sorry. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm breaking breaking the third wall a little bit. Um, but yeah, today the Flash and Legends came back, and suddenly my Twitter feed is overflowing with comments. Uh, mostly because nobody can just let other people be happy. Um, it's um, kind of amazing. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I know the Riverdale fandom has gotten a little harsh in some ways, but I haven't seen any Riverdale fans going against people for being happy yet. No, it's, it's not so bad with Riverdale. I, I There was a, a thing where I said something nice about Legends because I thought that I think Legends of Tomorrow has been uh, very good for about a season and a half now. And, uh... I had immediately somebody was like, oh, well. And Hart Denton is the name of the guy who plays, yeah. Um, which makes me wonder if he's related to, isn't Denton the name of the guy who played Mike on uh, Desperate Housewives? Do you like it? Yeah, maybe. Although I can't remember if that's his character name or his actor name. Cause I feel like it was the actor name. Yeah, this guy uh, is an actor musician. Uh, yeah, and that is as far as I know it. Yeah. Um. 
But, you know, I mean, I feel like the casting team at Riverdale has gotten so many. I mean, they've got a lot of people that a lot of us have not heard of. Oh, yeah. and I mean that in a good way, you know. I mean, again, it's kind of like our praise of KJ. It's like the fact that you can get these relatively new actors and they can be as good and as perfect in their roles. Yeah, and a lot of it, too. Like, I remember there being a lot of conversation about... Uh, about uh, uh, Cammy when she was first cast, and not just because she was Latina, but just because she was, like, really petite and didn't look to a lot of people like... See, to me, she looks the most like her comic book counterpart of anybody. Yeah, I just... I, and I don't remember what the justification was for it. I just remember people having that conversation at the time. I could... It could very well have been a thing where secretly they were complaining that she was Latina. <clears throat> Because people are awful. Although, on that same note, though, now when I see Joseph and the Pussycats in the comic book, I'm kind of, like, weirded out that it doesn't look like Ashley, Asha, and Haley. That's fair. Uh, I mean, I know you're part belongs to the original Well, I mean, I, I, I love... Yeah, I mean, it, it's really just a different perspective, because I really, I love the Riverdale, Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, and, you know, obviously... Um, We've become friendly with Haley. She was on the show, and similarly, like I uh, earlier this week or last week, I don't know. Uh, th- recently, I had a, an exchange on Twitter with Asha because I was talking about how uh, Asha is like my secret crush that you don't talk about because it sounds super shallow. Because of course, like she's never had a fucking line, so you just kind of assume it's because she's good looking and that's it. But but so like I there was a, a publicity shot that they released and I was like, okay, like Riverdale's a show full of gorgeous people, but can we all take a minute and talk about how beautiful Asha looks in this picture? Uh-huh. And uh, I, I had forgotten, like legit forgotten, uh, because I'm an old person and don't actually pursue this very much. Uh, I had legitimately forgotten how crazy my Twitter feed gets when Riverdale comes back. Because, <laughs> like, I, I said that, and even before Asha responded to it, which she eventually did, she responded with something really sweet, and we talked, a couple, like, back and forth. But, like, uh, even before she responded to it, I had, like, 30 people like, like or retweet it or, you know. And so... I'm surprised by, uh, you know, you talk about that. You know, I have my, you know, Riverdale-specific feed, Riverdale yeah. TV. And, you know, when I look at it, I've gotten a lot of followers there. And even in the summer months when I wasn't updating, I mean, I'm grateful for it. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's like you can tweet something random about Riverdale. And usually there will be fans who will respond to that, sometimes cast members. Yeah. Uh, it, it's fun, and that's what I, that's one reason why I like doing this show. I like covering the show because there are a lot of nice people. Um, but I think we also kind of had the advantage of knowing them and the show before anything got crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I feel like the odds are very like that 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 thing where we got together the night that episode three aired and we live tweeted yes. with the cast, which is really when we got FaceTime with, like, Haley and Asha and Caitlin and people who, like, remember us 
Because obviously, like, the main, main cast members tend to see a million and a half reporters, and we all kind of blur together. Um, Although, you know, there are certain people, like, uh, I would say, especially the older people, mm-hmm. like, uh, and older is relative. So yeah. yeah. The, the youngins who don't know who Joey Potter is. Um, <laughs> but, like, uh, Machen always seems to recognize me. Yeah. It, uh, For example, or Marisol also. Marisol definitely, uh, Sir Cole actually recognized me at San Diego this year, which uh, surprised me enough that in my head I'm like, is this for real or is he just like a good actor and pretending that he, you know? <laughs> but Cole has been doing this since he was a baby. Yeah, absolutely. So he kind of knows how to, like, I mean, it's like when we do interviews, nobody can give a better soundbite than Cole Sprouse mm-hmm. yeah. when it comes to that show. I mean, he just is on. Yeah, um, he actually uh, he he swooped he swooped in to save KJ. Uh, and I'll, I'll have to I'll I'll share the audio for this now that the episode has aired. Uh, so what happened was at San Diego Comic Con, and I told part of this story the other day, but I didn't want to spoil it on the other episode of the podcast before the season premiered. Um, at San Diego Comic Con, I asked uh, KJ. <clears throat> basically, I said, okay, so. Cole just got forced to move into a foster home. Is Archie going to be forced to leave Riverdale if something happens to Fred? Because Mary literally, like two episodes, wanted to take him to Chicago. And uh, KJ said, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> KJ said, well, no, because Archie, uh, you know, he's really got to be there to take care of Fred. That's his main concern right now. And he kind of went down the path of that for like a minute and then you could see on the video, which you can see on my Facebook, and I think on the Archie Digest Facebook, um, you can see, like, the this, this sudden realization of, like, what he's been saying for the last minute. Um, and he starts to backtrack, and just as he starts to backtrack, I think Cole decides to swoop in and rescue him, and he's like, at least you have a dad. And they, you know, <laughs> they got sidetracked by silliness. Uh of at least you have a dad, we did not see a fee at all in the season premiere. Yeah, which is surprising. Uh, I mean... Series regular now, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, there are too many characters. We don't need to see a fee every week. I know if Michelle's listening, she's yelling at it. She's like, yes, a fee needs to be on every week. <laughs> yes, Kara and Monel work. Because <laughs> I'm talking and you're not on today. Ha-ha. <laughs> oh. We're gonna get so much hate mail. Oh, it's okay. That's that's. I, I was talking about just random other people, but I, I also I, I never know how much crossover the Riverdale audience has with the like standard CW superhero stuff because it's technically a comic book show and it's on the same network and it's aimed at the same basic demographic group. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I don't. I, if you're listening to this and you are like a huge fan of the whole Arrowverse like basket of shows, uh, hit us up on Twitter at Riverdale TV or at Russ Burlingame and let us know uh, that you exist because I'm never clear on it. And especially like at ComicBook.com, the Riverdale, our Riverdale traffic has kind of tracked with the rest of social media buzz on Riverdale, which is to say that. It got bigger over the summer while there was nothing on TV. Uh, last year, it was it was a kind of a modest success for us at Comic Book, 
And then it got to be a really big show for us once it hit Netflix. And so I don't know, like, since the other CW superhero shows are always, like, huge traffic drivers for our site, it's so hard to guess, like, okay, are these the same people and there are just fewer of them who were engaged before? Or is it a whole different group of people and the superhero people are basically AWOL on the nights that Riverdale's playing? I, I do feel that the Riverdale fans are younger. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I think that, that that's kind of borne out by the fact that it plays so much better on uh, on streaming services than it does overnight. Did you attend the Riverdale Comic Con panel? I couldn't attend the panel. I was in the, I, I went to the press room, but I... I I was, I was curious how that panned out because, I mean, season one, of course, people didn't really know what the show was going to be. But yeah. Getting into season two, I'd imagine it was Madhouse. I mean, you you had paparazzi type people writing about Cole and Lily. I mean, yeah. that was something you would not have had a year before. Like, oh, the kid from Zach and Cody's with the blonde girl now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's cra- It's really. I mean, it, it's crazy because it's one of those things where. We've obviously known since well before the show aired because we all went to that first set visit last year. Yeah. We've we've known since well before the show aired that this was a special show and that this was a really great kind of combination of talents. But really, I feel like the, it, there was like a small, very dedicated group of people who loved Riverdale during its actual broadcast last season, and that that fan base has expanded so significantly now that it's on streaming, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays this year, like whether that means, okay, we suddenly the, the ratings. that's what I was going to say, I, I don't know if the ratings are going to like double, or if they're going to stay pretty much where they were, and there's just going to be like a, a year-round celebration of Riverdale, because like there's two different audiences, the people who watch it overnight, and the people who watch it in, in binging. Yeah, I mean, the binging people might view Riverdale the same pe- way people might view something like Stranger Things or 13 Reasons Why, mm-hmm. where they want to watch the whole thing all at once. And you can't and, you can't blame them when they're building both episodes, as far as we can tell, around a mystery. Or best, both and, seasons, excuse me. And on the note of 13 Reasons Why, we got to meet the new Hot Reggie. We did, yes. As opposed to the old Hot Reggie. And I tell you, I, one thing I really liked about the Reggie scene is that when they released the stills for this episode... Just the, like, the, I don't know if it was the camera angle or if it was the moment or what. The scene between Reggie and Archie looked confrontational to me. And my first thought was, like, after making Reggie, like, kind of a douchey but likable uh, antagonist in the first season, I was like, really? You're going to make him a guy who, like actively harasses someone when he's covered in his father's blood. Uh, and so the fact that when you watch the actual episode, it's nothing like that. And, and Reggie, like, pulls through and, and basically is the same Reggie that we saw last season, plus minus 5%. Um, that, that was really exciting to me because I really, like, I expected something totally different when the episode started. Although I've, I've read an interview with uh, Roberto the producer of Riverdale, where he said that um, Charles Melton and Ross Butler do play it very differently. Oh, yeah, and they, I mean, they uh, you could see, like, a lot of different choices being made, but I, I, I like, the writing is the same. And like I said, the biggest thing for me yeah. is the fact that uh, last season you had the, the whole element where 
you know, like the the episode with football is a good example where they're competing over all this stuff, but when he loses out, Reggie is ready to shake Archie's hand. And along the way, he's like, you know, you need to stop because you're going to hurt yourself. And it wasn't like, even though Archie kind of wanted it to be, so to speak, it, it didn't, it never struck me as like him trying to weasel out of the competition. It really struck me as you're going to hurt yourself. You're an idiot. Uh, that's one thing the show does really well is it kind of subverts those Archie comics tropes mm-hmm. that we all know. It's like Betty and Veronica aren't fighting over Archie. Yeah. And that was like the whole core concept of the old Archie comics. You know, Reggie, yeah, he's what, you know, Cole once referred to as a fuckboy. Yeah. But, you know, here, I feel like they're giving Reggie a little bit of humanity because if a character is completely unlikable, they become what Chuck was last season. Yeah. To tell you the truth. It's like Chuck is kind of an unredeemable character now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think on a show like this where most of the world exists in shades of gray, that having a purely evil character or two isn't entirely a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, I, I agree that I'm glad that Reggie is not in that kind of group. Um <laughs> Um, one thing you said to me over chat at one point, and I didn't even notice, is we see Midge for the first time in the season premiere? Yes. And, uh, Do explain. <laughs> she's just one of the random high school students who's in the scene that we were just talking about, where there's the Pussycats and Reggie and all them. The only reason I know she's in it is because she is credited in the closing credits. Huh. And then I have seen episodes two and three, and I won't talk about them at all, but I will say that Midge is, like, on camera and has her name stated in episode two so that, in hindsight, I can go back and look at the scene and be like, oh, yeah, there she is. She's standing there. Well, see, I purposely didn't watch episodes two or three yet, so I wouldn't get confused when we're talking about episode one. Yeah. So I'll probably just watch number two, and then we'll record next week or something. Hopefully Chris will be back. I'm sure he will. We we probably could have planned this better and had him come but um, like we really wanted to get this out in time for tomorrow when the season started because one of the things that we've always found is that like when the show ends people are super pumped to talk about it and we wanted to kind of be there for being to be part of that discussion if only some of these people would post on the Riverdale forum at KSA TV there you, go. you know I guess they're just all going to be busy watching Dynasty though <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how God that 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 matchup is such a weird one because I, I I get what they're going for in the sense that like those are probably the two most similar in terms of subject matter shows that the CW has right now. Right. But Dynasty to me still just sounds like an old person's show. So I've watched the pilot. You know, I know Chris said it was kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, I feel like it's one of those shows, though. I mean, it helps that it's from the creators of Gossip Girl, mm-hmm. who has the CW pedigree. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's also a matter of, I still feel sometimes that when you have a show with a big following like Riverdale, the fans might want to just go online afterwards and don't want to keep the TV on. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of wonder in the long term, even about Legends of Tomorrow being after Flash. I yeah, I mean, 
It's it's I hard. I'm Valor after Supergirl because Supergirl and Valor do not go together. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, no, to your point about Legends this season, it's certainly uh, – that's certainly a concern because, I mean, just speaking as a reporter who covers it, and this is partially because they didn't send screeners for Legends, but they did send screeners for Supergirl and Flash. Uh, we gave Legends a lot less coverage than we did the Flash and Supergirl. And part of that is that we were still dealing with, like, the, you know, stories that we had written about the Flash when Legends was already on television and we should have been paying attention to it. And obviously most regular people don't have articles that they have to write and push to social media. But at the same time, if you're very into the Flash and you're live blogging it or you're live tweeting it or whatever, then the odds are good that you're going to, like, come off of that and be like, okay, time to go get food, and Legends is going to suffer. Or you'll just catch it later on DVR. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, but yeah, I don't know about the whole Riverdale. But, you know, maybe TV audiences have just gotten so used to DVRing that... that yeah, that it doesn't matter what you're pairing it with. Personally speaking, though, I mean, if I wasn't getting screeners, I would want to watch Riverdale live. Yeah. Because I want to know what happens. I don't want some asset sending me a message and be like, dude, did you see what happened to Miss Grundy at the end of the premiere? And be like, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, exactly. That would piss me off. Yeah, and it, it's always interesting. I have a friend who uh, he watches everything pretty much on uh, on Netflix. And he was watching Riverdale live last year just because I got him addicted to it. Yeah. But for the most part, he watches almost everything that he watches live. and Or, uh, sorry, uh, on Netflix. And whenever, you know, like, he is about a season and a half behind on The Flash because he doesn't binge. He doesn't binge. He just kind of, like, watches it. And uh, this is Zach. He's, you know, a friend of mine. He works with me at comic book sometimes. He was in my hotel room when I was watching the first two episodes of The Flash Season 4 over the weekend. And he can skip season three. Yeah, that's pretty much what I told him. But uh, but in any event, like he's halfway through season two and he's listening to all this stuff from season four, and he's just he he tells me he's he's so sure he's just like yeah. By the time I actually watch it, I'll totally forget. I had I don't have the retention to remember like what's being spoiled for me. Okay. And I'm just like that's totally fair. At least for some people, for me, my brain doesn't work that way. Like but, you know. I do feel, though, like with Riverdale, mm-hmm. at least, it might even help that the killer of Jason Blossom was not a really well-known character from the comics. So if somebody heard in passing that Clifford Blossom did it, they might not register or remember it. Yeah, especially because Clifford Blossom, like, if you say his dad did it, it's hard to forget that. But, but if you say Clifford Blossom, it could have been one of those other random gingers in that one episode last year. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like Clifford got name dropped in the in the premiere, and then they didn't say his actual name again until like the syrup episode. Like he, the big red blossom. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it was fun seeing Clifford and Jason again very briefly. Yeah, yeah, we saw. Got to see everybody. Mm-hmm. 
I thought that was fun. Um, and also we got some flash forwards in a weird way, and that explained that sinister look that Mary had in one of the trailers. Yeah, it was weird that they kept that in, like, three trailers. Like, yeah. that was that was part of the... And I guess it's because the network really wanted Molly in there, maybe? But... Now, is... I don't think this is ruining it for anybody, but is Mary in 2 and 3? Not that I can recall. Um, it's 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 this episode where he calls her. Right. Um, she must be in an early episode. Like she must come to be by the bedside because they they call her to do that. Um, but I don't recall her being in two or three, and so if she is, she plays a minor enough role and is basically just at home with Fred so that I've forgotten it completely. Well, I think of this whole, I mean, speaking of being home with Fred, and I know we're jumping around, this whole notion of Archie wanting to protect his father. I understand it. Um, I, I feel like It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. I feel like it has the potential to be one of those storylines that spins kind of out of hand. And uh, I, I hope that it's not. I hope that they can stay kind of focused. But, like, there's, like, to me, I feel like Archie is understandably traumatized and nobody is, like, there's not an adult in the room because Fred is hurt and Mary's gone. And last season, it probably would have been Veronica who helped talk him down, but they've decided that Veronica, like, they want to play up kind of different elements of her, I think, than they did for most of last year. And so, like, I I, I have a hard time thinking that, like, season one Veronica would be buzzing around nervously, not sure what to do. And and that's, like, it's not really a complaint. It's, I'm not, like, that... It adds an interesting dimension to to her character, and it adds an interesting hurdle to her relationship with Archie. That is a totally legitimate hurdle, but excuse me, but it is. It does feel different than last season, and it it, the the effect of it is that Archie doesn't have anybody there to tell him like things are going to be okay and calm down and to do it in a credible way. And it's also his best friend Jughead's got his own issues. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. You know, so he can't really. And Jughead doesn't even, you know, live there anymore. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's not like they're sharing a room anymore. The other thing that changed from last season or surprised me was the way that Kevin referred to Joaquin. Yeah. I thought they left in pretty good terms, but he's kind of like, oh yeah, Joaquin did this horrible thing and that horrible thing and. You know, mopped up blood, and it's like, whoa, when were you, you know... I mean, I guess how he's dealing. I think that's how he's dealing with it. Um, okay. And, and especially because the... <clears throat> excuse me. He did have kind of a fairly extreme reaction immediately after the revelation last time, like last season. And then he calmed down very quickly, and I think there was probably some stuff lost in editing there, because obviously most of these shows come in fat. And so my guess is that what you're seeing is that he has, like, two settings, and one is where he's dealing with his stuff, and the other is where he's trying to push it down. And I think that... Well, 
Sorry. I was just going to say, I think that what you saw this episode was him kind of, this is how he's dealing with his stuff. Well, maybe he's also accentuating the bad parts to kind of convince himself that he's okay with Joaquin being gone. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, obviously anybody who's ever been in a relationship that ended, like, that's what you do. Yeah. And my dog agrees, apparently, <laughs> in the background. As but, he should. Um, what aspects have we not touched upon? Uh, have we covered most of it? We covered we covered uh, Fred's dreams mm-hmm. briefly. And kind I mean, of like when we're talking about Veronica and Hermione, I mean, Hermione's kind of fierce, and it felt like a lot of the fierce Hermione stuff was cut last year, and so yeah. it seems in the DVD. Yeah, I mean, what's um, what's interesting, and we we talked about this uh, in our last episode of the season last year, and then uh, I actually shared this interview with our audience at one point. But when I spoke with Marisol. Uh, just before the premiere aired, and I asked her whether she thought it was possible that she had shot Fred. Uh, she said, kind of without hesitation, "Oh yes, I think that's very that's a very real possibility." Um, I know something we did not discuss. What's How that? How creepy was it when uh, the serpents brought in that bloody guy? Oh yeah, had, like a cat bringing in a bird. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be the the serpent stuff is is really interesting. I, I feel like. I feel like that got added in late because it, it's come on like a freight train in the last like three episodes between the end of last season and the beginning of this season. And I, I kind of wonder if some of the serpent stuff was added because like if they're, they're, they're dropping a load of bricks on us because they're trying to like make up for lost time because they decided like kind of late in the game that they really wanted to play with this idea. Well, the original ending for season one, which is also on the DVDs, I don't know if you've been able to watch it yet, was basically, you know, um, FP telling Jughead to, like, look out for the serpents himself. You know, it was yeah. something like that. And so it was like Jughead was going to have that mystery, and now I feel like Jughead, like, his arc will probably be, you know, juggling um, between being a serpent and his old life with Betty and Archie. You know, they're pals. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I think that's pretty obviously where they're kind of... (laughs) Uh, I I also think that... I think that Jughead is set up for some really interesting storytelling that we didn't get a chance to really scratch the surface of this week because at the end of the day, this this episode was about Archie and Fred. Yeah. I, I will say I thought that the that it was a really interesting creative choice to kind of revive Fred in the way that they did because uh, I thought that the way that they built up the dreams, uh, that moment when he jumps in front of the gunman immediately before waking up, in many, if not most, shows, I think that that would be when you flatline. Well, was there any point when you were watching that you thought, well, maybe they're going to kill Fred after all? I never really, like, I, I definitely, because of KJ's yeah, because of KJ's thing, I was, I was very confident they wouldn't. Uh, there was, a, there were a couple of moments where I questioned it and where I questioned whether KJ was, but again, like, I've, se- I've watched that video a couple of times because I, I wrote a story based on one of the quotes in it and then I, I put it on Facebook and it's just like it doesn't 
it doesn't look like a like his his reaction like the sudden like oh shit I've been saying that this whole time um, doesn't seem like somebody who's messing with us. So I, 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 there were moments when I was like maybe, but then like I would think of KJ's face and I'd be like nah we're good. <laughs> yeah, see, I when I was watching it, it just seemed to get more final and more final feeling like shit. Are they? You know, I'm yeah. glad they didn't. No, I'm I'm very glad they didn't. adds a lot to the show. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about it before that it's there's there's something really beneficial with so many like really bad parents in Riverdale. Uh, Fred brings something different to the table, and I think it's clear that this season they're going to play with some of his faults, and we're going to get to see that he's not as perfect as we kind of imagine him to be. Uh, but I still think that. On a fundamental level, he has a different relationship with his kid than most of the Riverdale parents, and that. Well, speaking of bad parents and people not being completely perfect, we did not touch upon how batshit crazy Cheryl is. Oh yes. And her story—it's almost like she's blackmailing her mother, and she's trying to save herself from the embarrassment. Mm-hmm. People are going to stop talking about what Clipper did. If they keep, they start talking about how her mother saved her. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, both of our parents are complete fuck-ups. I thought that was really clever, although it kind of makes Cheryl also a similarly somewhat irredeemable character, but in a weird way, the way Madeline plays it, it works. Yeah, I think that it's really interesting. I do think that in this episode and then a little bit more in the next episode, you get a lot of, like, Cheryl just being straight-up evil. <laughs> and I, I I agree with you 100%. I think that, like, for many characters, like, she would have passed the point of no return and there's no redeeming her. But, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, we've seen what brought her to this point, and it's not something that wouldn't break most people. Uh, right. And, and secondly, there's something about Madeline that, like, she plays, like, even when she, well, not even, especially when Cheryl is at her worst. Madeline plays it uh, very charming, and there's something, like, incredibly likable about the way that Madeline plays this character when the character is kind of at her worst. Yeah. That, I, I just, I was, you know, I was kind of jaw on the floor, but at the same time, like, Damn, that is clever. I would not have come up with that. Yeah. And that's a sign of a really well-written TV show, too. I mean, just put that out there. That um, Riverdale keeps me wondering what's happening next, and I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm this setting up the – and, I mean, I guess one thing we kind of glanced glanced on but we didn't really talk about very much is uh, setting up the Black Hood character as – I mean, I, here's 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 the big question. Do you think that do you think that this is personal somehow? Like, because obviously with Fred and then uh, Grundy, this feels, at least on the face of it, like this person is specifically targeting Archie. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about Archie being targeted, but, I mean, obviously he would be if the guy had Fred's wallet. 
knows where to find Archie. Well, but even, I mean, I'm, I'm even saying, yeah. like, before that, like, maybe this is tied to the Jason Blossom investigation or something. I don't know. But, like, it, just the, uh, or, I mean, this is a character that we mentioned, like, five or six times during our, like, murder suspect things during season one. Um, what if this is Grundy's ex-husband? That would make sense. And... That, I mean, I joke that it's Sheriff Keller, but... Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure. Although, Keller was kind of, like, suspicious. He's... He's always suspicious. Yeah, he's... he's when he had that scene with, like, one talk to Archie and Jughead come, it's like, no. Yeah. He, he was weirdly cagey, but I think part of that is just the fact that, um... That he killed Jason Blossom? Well, huh. That, there's that. I think, honestly, I think part of it is just that now that Jughead is firmly on Southside and he's part of the Serpents, uh, I think that that's going to fundamentally change how he interacts with all the adults on the Riverdale side. Um, and, uh, and especially with Sheriff Keller, because Sheriff Keller, as we kind of discussed last season slash joked about, but, but really seriously discussed, is that there's clearly some kind of relationship that exists between him and the serpents that is not a hundred percent. It's not even appropriate, but above board, like something's going on there and I don't know what, and it could totally be innocent, but even if it's innocent, it's not what it should be on paper. Like something is not right there. And so to me, like that's, that's an interesting component of putting Jug in the Serpents is that he runs the risk of, like, finding out things that he's not supposed to find out because he, you know, goes to a school where most people wouldn't go looking for those things. Um, so that's, like, it's a weird thing to me where I'm just, like, I feel like we're going to see a real shift in the way that people interact with him once they know that he's much more clearly and cleanly, like, tied to the serpents. Well, I feel that Alice is already responding to him differently. Yeah, and absolutely. She seems to be kind of, like, remotely okay with Jughead, except for maybe his name, <laughs> being the last season, but now it's like, delete his number. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, it's Archie. Delete his too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny, too. Yeah, but absolutely. Again, a part of it was also mentioned. So yeah. Delivered. I mean, she's just on it. And I, I hope she's having as much fun playing it as we're having watching it. Yeah, I agree. Seems like this cast has that kind of fun, though. Um, as, as far as who the Black Hood actually could be, you know, you could be on to something, because I think it would have to be somebody who would be relevant yeah. in the world of Riverdale. But we've seen almost everybody. I mean, I know there was the whole thing, like, maybe it's somebody from the, you know, the Maple Syrup. Yeah. You know what? That's, they're all nobodies. The other possibility, and especially because, like, this person has, like, graying or salt and pepper, like, eyebrows and those green eyes. Um, no, I was going to say uh, um, Smithers. Because I could see it's being Smithers. age and build wise, he kind of has a Smithers thing going on. Uh, I, I'm not sure I buy it. Jason have gray hair yet? Pardon me. Jason Priestley have gray hair yet? Ah, uh, you know. I'd be mad at Dylan moving to Riverdale. 
that <clears throat> if if they did something that wildly meta, I would I would 100% support it. <laughs> uh, however, talking. Did you read uh, when the the whole thing about KJ's accident, which we meant to do a show about? And yes. It, yeah, that's right. But the head of the union investigating it is Gabrielle Carteris, who is on huh. 90210 with Luke Perry. That's amazing. That's kind of funny. And then Lily Reinhardt would be like, who's Gabrielle Carteris? <laughs> oh. You shouldn't. She's the same age as my grandma. <laughs> that's very possible. Lily is a Lily is very young. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't make fun of Lily though, because Lily is. Lily uh, is amazing. She, she is. Me feel very old. I know. I know. I, I asked her if Joey Potter would be one of uh, Betty's personal heroes, and she asked me who's Joey Potter. I felt so old. Yeah. There's a generation that knows the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, exactly. The entire cast of Riverdale knows the prequels more than they know the real ones. Yeah. That's sad. Uh, and I, I will say, like, Lily is one of my favorite, like, people on the cast uh, because of her, all of her uh, mental health advocacy and things like that, which is stuff that I think is super important. And, uh, and so... It's Mental Health Day when we're recording. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so good, good tie-in, totally unintentional tie-in, but... Oh, Lily. No, I mean, I I think Lily's honesty to the fandom, Mm -hmm. even if sometimes she's saying things they might not want to hear, like when, you know, she was asking for privacy, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really classy and very mature, and I'm, I'm proud of this cast, I mean... Yeah, no, absolutely, there's really, like... Well, probably the, one of the first shows that I've covered heavily where I felt significantly older than the cast, so I can touch <laughs> them in that way. Yeah, but I will say that they've handled... Um, I can't think of any show that I've covered where it was primarily unknowns, and so you come up with so many people who are tasting fame for the first time. And... But it's amazing how poised some of them are. Yeah, like, absolutely. People interview, like, say, like, Ashley. That's just me. For yeah. example, I mean, she's better on a carpet than most A-list actors. Yeah. No, I agree completely. You know, Ashley was actually Ashley is actually one of my favorite uh, examples because at San Diego, uh, so somebody had posted a like a meme to Twitter, and it was like thirty days of movies, and you were supposed to like tweet something every day for thirty days, and I was just like, "There's no way that's gonna happen." Uh, but what I did do is I downloaded the, like, questionnaire, and I recorded 30, like, two-minute videos that I put on the Emerald City video page. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I asked is, like, as of right this minute now, who is your, like, favorite working actor and actress? And uh, I named Ashley uh, oh. in the actress because I had just seen... I had just seen her in Deidre and Laney Rabbit Train, and both she and Rachel Crow are just spectacular in that movie. And I had, obviously, the experience of, like, a year watching Riverdale at that point. And so uh, I had recorded that, like, a week before seeing Ashley at San Diego. And so I told her, like, oh, you should check out the Emerald City Video podcast. We did this thing, and you got... And when I told her that she was the person I named and that, she, like melted <laughs> and she like gave me a hug and she was like I can't believe that kind of like and she was just so incredibly and I was just like that's literally the least poised I've ever seen her but it was still like a list response in terms of you know 
watched Deirdre and Lady, by the way. It's a Netflix exclusive. It's a Netflix original movie. So Okay, there you go. Everybody, after you watch all 13 episodes of Riverdale Season 1, I had to think about how many episodes there Yeah. Are. Watch Deirdre and Lady. Yeah, and there's, uh, and there's a bunch of, like, Riverdale is taking over Netflix. Uh, obviously, um, not Charles, uh, Butler. Uh, Ross Butler, thank you. Original Hot Rich. Yes, and I, I was I was mashing their names up in my head because we're recording and it's two o'clock in the morning here. Uh, but uh, Ross Butler obviously appeared in Thirteen Reasons Why. Uh, there is a a series coming up called Altered Carbon, which is based on a series of like cyberpunk noir novels. Uh, which in which uh, I don't know how big a role, but uh, Haley Law has a role, and uh, yeah, that she was that would remember, if you remember last time we had to reschedule our interview because she was shooting, and I can't remember if it was on mic or off mic that we asked her. So what are you doing? And can we talk about it? And she said like I'm doing this thing, and it's based on a book by this guy, and literally that's all I can tell you. <laughs> But it hasn't come out yet. I've been watching for it, and I bought the the first novel in the series, which I actually quite liked, um, so that I could kind of prep for it, so that that way when I do see it pop up on Netflix, either Archie Digest or the Emerald City Video Podcast, we'll do an episode around it, and uh, at that time, all of our listeners, I'll, I'll direct them to it, whether it's here or there. And see, that's the other thing I like about, you know, again... Gushing about this cast, and, mm-hmm. you know they're so nice to us. You can't help but want to like support them. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, I also wanted to say, um, I of course live uh, near Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley, and we have Riverdale billboards out here, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, they had one at uh, at New York last week when I went to the Comic Con, and it was the one with all the cast. And now, of course, Casey Cott is included in that picture. Yes, and uh, there were there were two versions of it. There was one that was like a painted billboard, like a standard billboard, and then in Times Square they had like a like an animated like one corner where it was like three screens that was the poster, and then like two screens that were running like sizzle reel trailers in, oh, wow. in a loop. Yeah, you know what? In North Hollywood, we had a, uh, you know one of those lit up posters. Yeah. And, um, it was Riverdale, and it was The Gifted, which is probably my new favorite like fall show. So like went from one thing I liked to another thing I liked, nice. and that made me pretty happy. Well, um, the thing I really liked about the one that they had in New York was that the one that was just the poster and it wasn't fully animated. Um, the you've see, if you've seen the key art for season two, they're all standing in front of uh, Pop's Diner, yeah. and the N and the I and the R, excuse me, are out on the sign so that the diner says die. Yes. Uh, in the animated version of that billboard, the the sign isn't out. The neon is flickering. Oh gosh. And so it's a really cool effect because it's just like that's the only thing that's moving. Other than that, it's not. It's a normal billboard. But speaking of pops, though, can we point out that they actually fixed his name tag? Yes. Yeah, we joked about that last time, that in the trailer for season two, uh, his name tag said Pops. With no apostrophe, it was like, as in his name, his name was Pops. Exactly, which which was a, a joke that we had in to Riverdale and back again, which was that everybody called him Pops, but the name of the diner was Pops with an apostrophe S, and it was like, wait, which is it? Uh, There's also Luke Steiner from Gilmore Girls. That's true. That's true. 
Uh, I'll, although To Riverdale and Back Again is not on Netflix or any place else if you want it. Yeah. It probably shouldn't be. Yeah, if, if you think the official Archie Comics page would put it up for free at this point. Probably not. Uh, although apparently at one point the official Archie Comics page had the edited for family viewing PG version of Josie and the Pussycats on the website for a while. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, yeah, I did not know that. Uh, Albert Ching from Comic Book Resources, who is about as big a Josie and the Pussycats fan as I am, told me that at uh, at New York Comic Con this well, past weekend. On that note, when they uh, for the Josie movie, they had a record release party, I guess, last week, and the original yes. Pussycats came back. Were any of Riverdale's Pussycats there? No, I actually uh, I offered to uh, I offered to send Haley. If she could get a break in filming, I was like, I was like, I would love to get this covered for the site. Uh, you know, I'll I'll find a way to because I'm sure that my my site would have paid to send her if she could like do social media from the uh, like from the concert and all that. Uh, and she was like, oh my god, I gotta see if I can do that. And then I just never heard back from her, which I assume means that she either forgot or that filming was uh, not gonna let that happen. Uh, no, the the people who were at that were. Uh, didn't Rosario Dawson showed up eventually? Didn't she? She did. She did. She showed up late, and it was actually she played it off as as kind of a joke because in the movie there's like a running thing about how uh, the record company doesn't like Val and are always trying to like huh. they they're always like running her down. And there's a couple times there's like a scene where they try to drive off without her in the car and stuff like that, <laughs> and so. She apparently, uh, like, her plane got delayed, and then she didn't realize that the screening, or the Q&A was before the screening instead of after, and so she was already coming in late, and then the plane was delayed, so she was even later. And then, like, she said that uh, she got to the airport and her car wasn't there, and she's like, come on, guys, this was not supposed to happen outside the movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the three original Pussycats from the movie were there, uh, Rachel Lee Cook, Tara Reid, and Rosario Dawson. Uh, the directors, Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, were there. And then there were a couple of other actors. I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the guy who played um, Alexander Cabot, uh, but he was there. And then... Um, who played Alexandra? Missy Pyle, who has a pretty good podcast herself, and I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, but Missy and Zach might bang. Okay. Sounds like Zach and Mary make a porno. Yeah, it really does. Uh, but it, it, it's a fun, it's a fun podcast. Uh, Kay Hanley, who was the actual musical voice of Josie, she was also she's the lead singer for uh, Letters to Cleo, who uh, before Josie and the Pussycats had appeared in the school dance scene from Ten Things I Hate About You. But was Cheryl Ladd in there? No, no. They, I don't know if you catch the reference. Yes, yeah, because she okay. was the. The classic, like the action animated, but um, but no. So Kay Hanley was was there. Can they actually? What happened was that they were reissuing the soundtrack on vinyl for the first time ever, and uh, while the movie was a massive box office failure, the soundtrack was actually it went gold. It sold half a million copies, and it's a thing that like people still listen to and talk about. And so, like, they decided Mondo, uh, who do a lot of, like, movie posters and deluxe editions of things, decided that they were going to do a vinyl release of the soundtrack. 
And so they had a record release party, and one of the things they did is they brought Kay Hanley there to perform songs from the soundtrack, which was the first time that she had performed them live ever. Oh, wow. And so it was a really cool thing. Uh, I did not get to go, but I did watch somebody videotape the whole thing and and put it on YouTube. Of course. Uh, Probably not with videotape. That would be silly. (laughs) But, uh... Somebody's had videotape in the brain lately. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm... Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so anyway, that was the thing that happened, and it was pretty neat. Uh, they are selling, or auctioning, excuse me, a bunch of things from that night, like some signed records and some of the instruments and things like that. They're going to auction for hurricane relief and for the fire, wildfire relief. And where can people... Uh, I don't know yet. I would continue to watch the Mondo... News. It's at Mondo News on Twitter, and uh, Harry Alfont and Deborah L. Kaplan on Twitter, uh, because they're those the, those are the, the filmmakers and the venue. And they said that there will be video, like official video, that's decent quality of Hanley's performance that's out there, and also they are going to auction some of the items for charity. And I haven't seen anything yet. Um, I myself, while I was at New York Comic Con, uh, I had a prop from the movie signed by one of the pertinent actors, which is uh, du jour, the boy band in the movie, uh, were played by Seth Green, Brecken Meyer, Donald Faison, and a fourth guy whose name I can't remember because he doesn't really do much. But um, they, I, when I got my headphone props, the same guy had like a bunch of other stuff. And so I got a du jour, like one of the prop CDs that they used in the movie, and a couple of du jour t-shirts that I used for, like, a shtick when I was videotaping an interview with uh, Brecken Meyer. Nice. And so uh, I got Brecken to sign the du jour CD, and I'm going to sell that for, uh, like, flood relief at some point soon. Uh, I'm debating, because I'm friends with uh, Matt Senreich, who's the showrunner on Robot Chicken. I'm debating whether it's worth it to try and send it to him and get uh, Seth Green to sign it as well. Or Let's whether... get du jour on Riverdale as, like, an aging man and just have the original actor. Oh, I know. I, I would love it. The problem, of course, becomes that... Uh, oh, the rights to the movie or somebody else. Yeah, exactly, because uh, Du Jour was never part of the cartoon or the comics, as at, least, at least as far as I know. Uh, so they were created by, like, Harry and Deb for the movie, uh, which is Universal Pictures. Um, yeah. And, like, Riverdale Productions, which was the name of Archie's, cre- Archie's like movie and TV arm at that point uh, produced the thing, so there's always the outside chance that Archie did actually retain the rights and could do that, but I don't know. Uh, probably not, though. Probably not. It's probably one of those so, weird things where the, the rights exist in some kind of odd limbo where they're shared between Archie, Universal, and Harry and Deb, and nobody can do anything without everybody else involved. It's kind of like the Batman <laughs> 1966 series not being on DVD forever. Yeah, exactly. But, um... Hopefully people are still listening after our long Josie and the Pussycats tangent. That, that'll probably get trimmed. Uh, yeah. Well, our, do you have anything else you want to bring up about the... I did, actually. Uh, the thing that I started to say um, earlier, then I, I got sidetracked, but... Uh, you, sidetracked? What? You, you were joking about uh, people being angry at Dylan McKay for moving to Riverdale. Uh, talk about moving. Where was it that... Uh, that Grundy moved to when she left town? Greendale. 
Yeah, this was our first official appearance of Greendale, not that we really saw much outside of Grundy's living room. Although, wasn't she, didn't they drop that she was in Greendale before she was at Riverdale? Or did I imagine that? Uh, I know Greendale has been mentioned. I don't think that she came from Greendale, although I could be misremembering. Yeah. Um, but also, it's interesting that she didn't go very far. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, like, if you're essentially fleeing prosecution, I feel like I would be more than a half an hour away. Uh, yeah. But that probably was mostly just because if she was too far away, then the idea of somebody stalking her because she has ties to Riverdale would seem kind of nonsensical. Uh, Do we think that the um, Black Hood's going to kill anybody else before they figure out who he is? I mean... Or is that a spoiler for stuff that you've seen that I haven't? Uh, it's a spoiler for stuff that I've seen if I give a definitive answer, but what I can say is that my like I, I, I'm responding to all of this with my initial response. Um, so, so like, when I ask you, do you think that Archie is being targeted here? Um, that was my immediate reaction as soon as, uh, okay. as soon as she was a victim. They actually address that question in one of the upcoming episodes and come down on a specific side, which I will not talk about. Uh, it's Dilton Doily. Dun dun dun. The original Dilton. <laughs> that would be a twist. A that would be kind of a nice twist. Um, but yeah, no, the, um, what was the original question we were talking about? Uh, oh, whether, whether the Black Hood will kill again. I think my initial response was that he pretty obviously will. Like, my, my, once you see, like, two, fairly brutal, seemingly random crimes in short order. Um, like, I, I think that clearly he'll make at least another attempt on somebody. I think that, like, my, my gut instinct is to say Archie is, like, right there in the crosshairs. Uh, Here's another question, knowing the comic books. Mm-hmm. Do you think it might have been more appropriate to have used the hangman? That's a, I mean, certainly, certainly uh, for this. He has a certain stick, and <clears throat> yes. wouldn't have worked for shooting Brett. No, exactly. Um, okay. Although I will say one of the things that's really interesting about the use of the Black Hood is in the comics he's not a bad guy. Uh, like, he's, he's kind of the Punisher. And so I, 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 it does make me wonder, like, what is his motivation because there's basically two ways that that can shake out. Either one, he's the Black Hood in name only, and he's a bad guy, and we're not supposed to think too hard about the fact that there is a comic book character called the Black Hood who exists. Or I think that might be the case. That it, it, it probably is, but the other like possibility is that, okay, if we're supposed to take this at face value and he's some version of the the Black Hood that we all know, then then it becomes does he think he's doing the right thing somehow? And if so... Like, he is aware that, you know, Fred at least had been working with Hermione and might be in cahoots with her. Right, exactly. Or he, he and or the serpents. Trendy was a child molester. Right. And, and so to me, like, that's a really interesting question that, 
is is not immediately answered here or in upcoming episodes that I've seen. Uh, like so, when you start speculating about like who is he, what's he doing, why is he doing it, is he going to do more of it? Uh, there certainly, to me, is a question of like, yeah, I mean, we know Fred is a good guy, but on paper he's been working with the lodges, he's been working with the serpents, and he had whatever happened in his past that made him, like, ineligible to adopt Jughead. Uh, At least a DUI, and there was alluded to that there was some more going on. And so to me... At least met with Clifford Boss. Right, exactly. And so to me, there's that element of, like, probably it's nothing. Like, probably, like you said, it's almost certain that, like, the fact that he's the Black Hood is just an Easter egg for people like you and me who who have read Black Hood comics. But, yeah, exactly, exactly. But the other side of that is, like, if it's not just an Easter egg, which we won't know until they deal with it in, in story, um, like, it does kind of, like, if you've read this and you know who he is, to me, in my head, I'm like, this character has a very, like, especially his aesthetic and everything else, like, he almost has a, a Rorschach kind of feel to him. Uh, and, of course, Ro- yeah, Rorschach in Watchmen is, is uh, like, and he's very influenced by Steve Ditko, who is a uh, objectivist. And so there's very, there's a lot of very black and white morality in Rorschach. And some of the more current interpretations of the Black Hood have that same thing. Like, there's a very kind of binary view of the world that there's good and there's bad and there's not much in between. And so if that's the case and he believes that like these are bad people who need to be punished, then in a town like Riverdale where everybody lives in shades of gray and everybody is bad, it means that pretty much everybody could be a target. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) He's like, whoa, that's a lot to take in. Yeah, and again, like... Um, Part of that is the thing of, like, I'm probably overthinking this because I've read Black Hood comics, but... But this is also good because, like, again, Riverdale's making us think and speculate. It's mm-hmm. like, you know the Flash is going to catch the thinker eventually. Yeah. You have no idea what's going to happen with Black Hood. Yeah, and certainly I think that um, if I am, like, the... If I'm a C-list kind of character, um, like if I'm Ginger or I'm Dilton, like... Don't you threaten Ginger. I know, I and I love Caitlin. I'm just saying that, like, if I'm that sort of character, somebody who's never going to get, like, major play in the spinoff, then I would be worried about my my longevity right now because, like... Right now, all we know about the Black Hood is that he's targeted two people with ties to Archie. Uh, so, so like Coach Cleats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People who, and again, I, I, I still very much like we talked about last season. No matter how many times they threaten it, I don't feel like Jughead or Betty or Veronica are in any serious danger of being killed or maimed. No, they'll just tease that they'll be maimed, and then it'll turn out that they'll just get handicapped. <laughs> no, that, that hasn't happened. Never. 
That was such a weird. That was such a weird thing. They really. Is they, Betty better net yet in the comics? No, she's still in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Um, but meanwhile, another thing, she's like a biker vixen. Yeah, yeah, they've got like an Archie multiverse now. I think because the Riverdale comics sold so well, and uh, they had the thing where like the Betty and Veronica comic was only kind of sort of like in continuity with the other new Riverdale titles because Adam Hughes was so slow. Uh, it still comes out more than Afterlife with Archie. Well, not anymore because it's over. <laughs> Wait, Afterlife is done? No, no, no. Uh, Betty and Veronica is done. Yeah, I found a Facebook <clears throat> post of mine from about five years ago talking about how brilliant Afterlife with Archie is. Nice. And since I've been broke, you know, I've been missing my comics. I think I've only missed one issue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the last, like, eight months. Sounds about right. Uh, I mean, Roberto's got important things to do right now. Yeah. But, I mean, some Riverdale TV show, Sabrina, something like that. Yeah, I actually, I gotta, I gotta look. Um, he posted that first page of the script from, like, halfway around the room. And I'm just... It mentions Harvey. Yeah, I, I'm like, I bet... I hadn't seen that it mentioned Harvey, but I, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I bet if you, like, zoom in and sharpen, you could probably read that first page of script. <laughs> uh, I, I hope they called Doug Cameron. <laughs> I, it's gonna be really interesting to see who they cast. Um... I almost wonder if they're going to cast somebody who is non-white because I feel like Sabrina is one of the few characters they have who, like, it's her own standalone brand and people are going to watch it for Sabrina. And so they, they feel like they can probably get away with, like, colorblind casting. And the, yeah, I think that'll be... I think that won't be a problem, especially because they are basing it on Chilling Adventures. And so I think a lot of the iconography from uh, Robert Hack's art is going to make its way onto the screen. And can we just talk about how beautiful Robert Hack's art is? Oh, I know. I saw his booth at uh, New York Comic Con this past weekend. I didn't have any art with me or anything, and I was, like, in the middle of five things for work. But I really – I literally just wanted to stop and be like, you're amazing. Yeah, I mean – it's great that Roberto is such a good writer, but I could literally, I could read a dynamite comic book with Robert Hack art. Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> Hack is the kind of artist where, like, he does so much with uh, shadows and with negative space and with, you know, he does a lot with acting and lighting. Yeah, like, I, I feel like one of the things that's a missed opportunity because Archie isn't the kind of company that does this is, like, DC has those noir hardcovers where they just release the, the book, like, just the line art without the colors, and sometimes even without the lettering. And it's like, I would pay for an oversized, like, that's just, like, here's the original art for Robert Hacks. Yes, yeah. Or the gallery editions that Graffiti Designs does, which they're doing one for Strangers in Paradise, and I'm very happy. Very cool. Um, but, you know, I think about it... <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> granted, you know, the scheduling is a little off at times, but, I mean, I also love Francesco Francavilla's art mm-hmm. uh, Afterlife. It's just incredible. Um, yeah, there's, there's some really good stuff out there. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, and the Riverdale comic has been really solid. Uh, the um, Joe Eisma, who's provided the art for most of the issues, is terrific. Uh, I've we're been wanting to pick up your pal Archie. Is a new series. Yeah, 
Yeah, Dan Parent is doing like classic Archie. Yeah, with with Ty Templeton. Yeah, but he's doing like classic Archie through a Riverdale lens. So that instead of the like new Riverdale version that got rebooted a few years ago, this is much more like the traditional Archie. It's like zanier humor and and built towards a little younger audience. But I feel like that would be a better match. I mean, you could reprint your pal Archie in the regular <laughs> digest, and people wouldn't find it too weird. Exactly, and I think that's like, part of what the the plan probably is. And honestly, like I've seen, they put out a few Riverdale digests, and the paper quality for those books with that kind of coloring it just does not match. It just looks like mud. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's one of the things that. Uh, um, Glenn Whitmore, who provides the colors for most of the Archie Digests, is uh, he, he was the colorist on the Superman books in the 90s. And I, I recently interviewed him for uh, a 20th anniversary of this one big story that came out in 1997. And he talked a lot about the fact that when comics as a whole changed, the printing processes and the color quality or the paper quality and things like that, that he moved to smaller publishers because what DC and Marvel were doing, like his style of coloring looked like garbage on that paper. Yeah. And no, I mean, I'd say he looked like garbage, but you know what I mean? No, but that's his, yeah. like, that's what, that was his assessment, not mine. Um, but I'll say that like, whether or not you agree with that, I would say that the, the opposite is at least equally as true that things that are designed for mirror web paper and for modern printing technologies, that when you print them on newsprint, they just look not That's great. That's why some of the best reprints of comics are like the, I know they don't do as many now, but the DC archives. Yeah. Which the paper was actually slightly yellow. Yeah. They would print on, and I don't know. That's, you know, I know there's the RT archives, but I feel like the digests usually look really good. It's just not the... The Riverdale yeah, stuff, yeah. New Riverdale stuff. Yeah. And I know they're doing some Marvel mm-hmm. Digest. RT's publishing them, and it's the same deal. Where mm-hmm. The old stuff looks wonderful, and the new stuff just looks bland. Uh, yeah. I would love to see a Riverdale Digest made up of stories inspired by the show, kind of like the monthly series. Yeah, I agree. We'll see if that happens. Um, it's just cool that all this stuff is out there. I mean... I remember, you know, being a young fan of a TV show, and I mean, back then, you'd be lucky to even get a trailer if you week. Yeah. And now, you know, you get like eight preview clips, 15 interviews, you know. Yeah. It's a good time to be a fan. And you get podcasts talking the night of. Exactly. Right after the episode's over, you know, two guys, one of whom is up until 2.30 in the morning, <laughs> so we should... That's probably a good time to end the show unless you have anything else to say. No, like I said, the last thing I really wanted to make sure we talked about was the fact that this is the first kind of on-camera appearance of Greendale and the fact that obviously um, we, got our, we got our screeners just, again, a peek behind the curtain. Um, we got our screeners the day of or the day after the Sabrina announcement. It was No, it was right after we finished recording our last podcast. Yeah, so it was right after, and so that was the day of because the the we actually made sure to record a podcast the day that Sabrina the Sabrina announcement happened, and so what's really interesting I think about that is that it seems as though they withheld this episode from the press until Sabrina had been announced, which to me indicates that they really were like they wanted to be certain that 
nobody took Greendale and said, oh, look, uh, Sabrina confirmed before they were ready to actually talk about it. Although, did we see Jason arriving in Greendale last year? Um, I don't... Side of the river. I don't think so. Uh, I could be wrong. I think we saw him, like, get out of the river and into the woods, and then I, I, I well, didn't... that's where the witches are. I didn't think he got anywhere past that. Um, well, it's in a deleted scene where Trevor actually gets to talk. Oh, really? I'm kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is late. Um, yeah, so uh, where can we find us? At Waterworld Photos. No, I'm not Chris. I forgot. Sorry. I'm not cool. Um, you can find me at ksitetv.com. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, at Riverdale TV. How about you, Russ? Uh, you can find me on uh, all kinds of social media at the... Emerald CD video podcast. That's ECV underscore podcast on Twitter, or the you can go to Facebook or to Twitter or to Instagram or to Patreon and search Emerald City Video. Um, I am going to start adding some RT Digest specific rewards to the Emerald City Video Patreon, so keep an eye peeled for that. Uh, up till now, we've done a thing where like people have been able to donate through PayPal, and if you do that, then I'll give you like an eight by ten photo. Of that I took, like an original photo that I took of uh, Pops when we were there on set. Uh, give him a signed photo of Chris. That's a that's a solid idea. Uh, we should uh, let's ask Chris. Be like Chris, we need your autograph. Just of his you, just of his hair. Of oh, Chris's awesome hair. Yeah, exactly. He better listen to this episode. He says he doesn't listen. He needs to listen to this one. But uh, but in any event, yeah. If you if you go to uh, our the Patreon page for Emerald City Video. I'm, like, basically funding the 50 bucks a month or so that I pay out of pocket to host uh, four podcasts. And uh, and so uh, there's going to be some Riverdale and some psych-specific uh, rewards coming up soon. Right now, those don't exist, but the uh, if you back us at uh, 10 bucks a month, then every three months you'll get a VHS tape that is an exclusive video podcast that only the backers get. Uh, and also, I share a private, like, a video file with you, so that that way, if you don't have a VCR, you can still watch it. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but uh, also, rate and review us on iTunes. Exactly. Yeah, I was getting to that. I, I got sidetracked by the uh, by the, the jam about yeah. Patreon, because yeah. I don't think that I had done that yet when, I, when we did this last. Um, but, yeah, rate and review us on – it's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple Music as my uh, – Are they trying to confuse me? It's apparently it's the if you look at the latest iOS update the little music thing is gone and it's a star now and so it's like Apple Media is now the name of the app or something and so it's it's like your your podcasts your video your audio is all under the same generalized app. Uh, trying to confuse me. Yeah, it's it's weird and we're old, but it, bottom line is uh, rate and review us on. Exactly. But yeah, rate and review us on the uh, uh, Apple Podcast app, which is, I think, what it's technically called now. And uh, that should be, you know, for the Why foreseeable future. The iTunes link? Uh, no, I think it's still, I think, I think everything stays the same. Uh, I suspect that they'll redirect everything and that if eventually it wants things changed, it will alert us to that. Uh, 
because the only reason I even know that it's not iTunes anymore is because one of my hosts, one of my co-hosts on Delicious Flavor, which is the Psych Rewatch podcast we do, uh, corrects me every single time I say to rate and review us on iTunes. Ah, so is the next episode, is that the one called Nighthawks? Yes, Nighthawks is the second episode, and then the third episode is The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Uh, I believe, I'm, a, I'm about 90% sure. Um, the Town That Dreaded Sundown is a particularly interesting title. Uh, if it's not three, it's coming up soon anyway. But it's a particularly interesting title because that is actually a horror movie. It's based on a true story uh, of a serial killer. And that dude, if you look at the movie poster for The Town That Dreaded Sundown, looks very much like the Black Hood. Oh, um, there's one other thing. I'm so sorry we already said our goodbyes, but I have to point out. Mm-hmm. Jughead Oh, yes. Got issues. Yes, he does. That made me so happy. Like, and Pops, I almost cut him Pops. When Pop is like, oh, does he want anything to eat? And he's like, yeah, please. Yeah, and it's great because uh, if while nobody questioned uh, Veronica getting into the shower with Archie to make him feel better, um, Betty did, like, Betty was clearly put out by Jughead stopping everything to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, she was very, and it, it was like, they played it in a totally kind of straight Riverdale way, but it, it very much, like, it felt very much like something out of the classic comics, because it was like, really, she's she's just sitting here staring at him while he's eating, and he's just like, what? I eat when I'm stressed. Um, but yeah, I, I totally forgot about that, but that's a very good point, not only because it was a funny scene, but because, as you noted, like, it's a thing that people discussed a lot in the first season. Yeah, and it, it explains a lot about Jughead. You know, I mean, he's going through a lot. He wants to be close to his dad by wearing jackets, mostly, mm-hmm. but maybe he just wants that acceptance mm-hmm. being a serpent. Of course, once they bring a bloody guy into his trailer, I think all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that shapes up. Uh, and certainly we know that Tony is going to be recurring. I don't think she's a regular, but I do know that she's... Um, back, and that, you know, that's why she was getting death threats, is because as soon as it was announced there was a Southside serpent, or a Southside student, excuse me, who was recurring, people started to worry that it was a love interest for Jug. Jug kids burger sexual, I tell you, people. Although I'm totally cool with Jug and Betty being together. No, agreed. Yeah, I I really... Archie doesn't deserve Betty, that's for sure. No. Um, Archie doesn't really deserve Veronica either, but what the hell, if it makes her happy. Um, We we want Veronica happy. That's all that matters. But thank you for listening, everyone. Yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, Rate and review us. Uh, You can find us at archiedigestpodcast.com, which will take you to uh, the Riverdale subsection on K-Site where you can uh, you can find all of Craig's articles about the show and a like a list of all of our I believe 21 episodes that we've done so far Show.